The world is a confusing place, filled with all manner of shimmering distractions that take our conscious mind and our immortal souls and subvert them into the most basal of human emotions. Can any one of us who considers ourselves a spiritual being truly look around the carnival at the barkers, performers, and the caged animals and believe, even momentarily, that any of this is as it should be? My name is Alan Bishop, the alchemist of the Black Forest of Indiana, distiller, historian, occasional tinker, reenactor, and your host of If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything. Have you ever noticed the world isn't quite what it presents itself to be? That something is just a little off kilter, just a little out of focus. Perhaps that movement you caught out of the corner of your eye was more than a shadow, that weight on your shoulder more than fatigue. I have lived my whole life like this, aware, awake, and waiting for the next experience, positive or negative, always apprehensive, always analyzing. I believe that spiritual warfare is real. I believe from societal observation that others are becoming acutely aware. I believe that many are being influenced by forces unknown in a negative and spiritually deprived way. I see soft disclosure in every corner of pop culture. Join us as we pull back the curtain, as the veil thins and reach with us into the ether to reclaim the truth. But if you have ghosts, you have everything. Let me throw you guys a modern phenomenon. So, um, and I'm just curious to get your take on it. Okay. And, and I have some theories on it as to whether or not I think it's a real thing or whether or not I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of these things are similar to what, what Ted and you both are saying, uh, not only in the energy loop, but even in, in the Tulpa sort of idea. Right. Um, so one of the more modern phenomenon, and, and you can trace it back in the history with the Sinocephali, et cetera, is this idea of the dog man. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this or not. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious your take on something of that nature. <laughs> where you think that's coming from. And I say this because I know that people that are, that are new to this phenomenon, they're going to look at me like that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, et cetera. Right. Um, and I get that. It's very easy to get, to get to that point, but we're also at a point now where there are, I think there was a lot of ramping up of very negative energy with COVID, for example, right. There was, there was just a lot of, nobody knew what was happening or what was going to happen. And people were putting a lot of not great energy out there uh, and abusing themselves in a lot of ways. But I think that that also opened a few doors uh, to people being more open to things and and noticing things because they had more time on their hands. And so I'm very curious to see what your all's take on something of that nature would be. You know, I, well, first of all, I think that you're right. I think that in plague times, and we're certainly in plague times right now, um, that these phenomena are much, much more prevalent. But I don't, I don't really see it as a modern um, phenomenon. I think that, you know, if you compare Dogman to lycanthropy, you know, like the the the, the Wolfman trope, um, uh, that again, you know, um, is what we think of as comorbid to um, the bubonic plague and to the smallpox and to other plagues, you know, um, that the, the appearance and the ideas around these types of things, um, which I think of as um, semi-human things, um, it, it, it like you know we talk about Mothman, um, which is another uh, type of a, a thing that's out there. Um, I think if you go down south, 
um, they have um, what they used to call the Batman. Um, um, but now that's too much like a DC um, uh, comic book. Um, but uh, again, you know, the, the, this idea that there are semi-human type things. I think that like everything, that there is a, a grain of truth <coughs> to a lot of this stuff. I do think that there are, um, I do think that there are um, things that go on during times of great stress that, um, I don't know that these phenomena don't happen. I think that we have a lot more ability to be open to things and I, I think that when we start seeing the commonalities between, like, for instance, when we think about um, Dogman and Lycanthropy, you know, um, and we see what the more arcane ideas around it are, um, even going back to biblical days, you know, um, that that there, there is some truth to this. Um, how much uh, and and how much of it uh, because I think that during times of great stress that uh, things can be amped up by you know what I think of you know like people talk about hysteria um, but I, I think that that at the base of it there's truth to it I just like I think that um, when uh, when I lived in South Dakota and was very close to the um, Oglala um, Sioux, uh, the Lakota people, um, they have a very intense um, genealogy of, um, of what they call the Squanesi, and they think of them as the the ancestors, um, and they talk about um, the little people and they talk about Sasquatch and they talk about all of them as if they are part of, of the genealogy of man. You know, they, they have stories around how they uh, are descended from the, uh, the Sasquatch, uh, you know, or the, 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 you know, they call the bear people. Um, and so the mythology um, around Bear Butte and, you know, and so that's their, that's their mythology and that's their tropes and things. But if you think about it, they don't have, um, theirs deal with bears and things. Um, I think that as Westerners, as Europeans, we are much more um, likely to see um, dogs and wolves and foxes and things that, you know, um, we think of as more like human or more like our, our friends or, you know, um, whereas the Tibetans and the, and the Lakota or the Mayan um, tend to see bears and tend to, to anthropomorphize bears. Um, the the um, Inupiaq and the Inuits also have their bear man mythologies. Um, and so um, I think that there is a grain of truth to all of that. I think that um, how much, I don't know. Um, but I think that a, a lot of it is so, is so pervasive um, and has like, you know, it's like the trope does not come out of whole cloth. There is, there is some truth to that, just like there is to, you know, the idea of vampires. And when you go and start to look at what diseases might cause people to act a certain way or whatever, um, you see there is truth to it. And then you see that in times of plague that the, 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 the certain diseases 
that come out um, where people might um, have receding gums and uh, and receding hairlines and and sensitivity to light and be born with all pointed teeth or you know uh, and and this is like a, a an actual congenital defect that's like in my family um, and when you look at that you see the grain of truth to it you know you see the iron deficiency you see the 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 sensitivity to light you see the 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 hairline and the pointed teeth and you know all kinds of things um and i do think that there are that there are things like that i do think that there are people who have congenital like dog face or 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 werewolf face or you know um i mean i know people who, who were born with hairy faces <laughs> and i mean like seriously hairy faces that you know they they have surgically um fix themselves but but i think that that's the that's the beginning of the hysteria is is this sort of grain of truth yeah i think i think there's a lot to that as well and and the 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 dogman phenomenon has has interested me for a little while now it's one of those that i i very very much didn't take very seriously early on um but the more that i that i dig into it the more i start to believe that there's there's definitely something being seen there and I, and I agree with you i think from the european perspective the wolf makes a lot of sense that you know it may even be just be being projected onto it as it being a wolf etc and it, it doesn't seem to be to me a lot of these things seem you know that they they come and go as they please they appear as they want to and as we talked about several times already tonight you know they're, they're feeding off of whatever fear that they can get you know uh in order to exist um, I did find it very interesting that during COVID, like I said, it was, it, it's been interesting to me listening to some of the other podcasts and most of the other paranormal 14 supernatural podcasts that, that are kind of out there, they tend to come at it from a very heavy, uh, theological, very Christian perspective, which is fine. Um, but it, it, it's, it's been amazing to me to see and hear the number of you know, for lack of any better word, professionals out there uh, in the world, as far as doctors, lawyers, etc., that are that are telling their stories now about encountering that particular thing, whatever that thing happens to be. So, um, I was definitely glad to get your get your opinion on that for sure. And then, hold hold on, just a second, guys. I got to fix Kim's headphones here. <laughs> just a second. Did you get it? Good. All right. Cool. Um, so this came up with Jack Begadu as well. And Jack, Jack's a very, very good friend of mine, Hood Sommelier, if you're not familiar with him. Um, Jack is from Togo and, and we got deep into some of the belief systems that he was exposed to as a, as a child growing up there, et cetera, and that he's still into. Uh, and one of the things that, that he said, uh, to me that made a lot of sense is, you know, the, the, the blood remembers basically. Right. So, um, you know, it's it's interesting to me this idea of, of genetic memory, of ancestral memory, and and obviously Kate has touched on that, and you've touched on it well, um, as well. Uh, how how much of that do you think sometimes plays into some of these experiences? I mean, if if there's if there's like a, a genetic or cultural relevancy to to some of these things that to where they're almost specific to your background. Well, I know I I think that to a degree. Um, everything that a person experiences creates filters so that in, in the future, you know, it, it gets any kind of paranormal experience then gets filtered through their own personal life story. And in addition to that, um, if you think just in your physical body, people, have different senses that are maybe more heightened than another one. You know, someone might have great hearing, someone a great sense of smell, you know, and, and you then filter your life using primarily your strong, your dominant sense. Um, and you combine those things with your background, with your culture, with your, your personal history, 
and it creates a lens through which you see everything. <clears throat> so it's in the same way, like Ted was saying, that people have experiences, but maybe we have different names for them because that is you know, how you relate, what you think of. Um, thinking about say dog man, for instance, you know, maybe somebody is terrified of that because they're terrified of dogs. They have a different view of it. Somebody might think it's really cool because they love dogs and it's man's best friend. You know, I mean, it's just, it's like, it makes sense to see things in the way that you are culturally raised to believe and to see. It, it puts that into your brain so that you can make sense of what it is that you're seeing. We, I think we need to be able to, it's sort of human nature to label things, to understand things, to put them in a box, to identify it. And when you come across something that seems out of that realm, immediately we want to put it into a way that we can view it and make sense of it and make it acceptable so that we can digest it. And it, and it's just going to work through our own individual filters or cultural, historical filters and genetics. Yeah, I think that, the, I mean, it, and and I, I, I'm, I think that maybe the, the, the question that you're asking is, 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 is it like DNA? Is it like, can, can it be passed on? And, you know, my, my um, grandmother worked very hard to hide what she did from us. Uh, she was a very devoutly Christian fundamentalist, um, Assemblies of God, Pentecostal woman. And, um, and so she worked within the context of what the church uh, allowed and said. So, so she believed in healing and she believed in, you know, um, lots of of things that were acceptable to the church but she also had a little tiny bag you know like a crown royal bag of all of her jewelry um that was different than the rest of her jewelry this was all jewelry that was um that had a specific uh a gemstone in it and she would had a little little mojo bag going there. Yeah, she would wear a different ring for different things, and we had no idea what it was. And, and I mean, I didn't really realize until much later that there was a reason that there was a little tiny tray of food by the door. I thought, you know, she had breakfast in bed and was, you know, um, waiting for my grandfather to go take care of the dishes and stuff. And um, and so even though she um, was a Christian, she had all of these different um, animistic beliefs and Buddhist beliefs and beliefs about supernatural things that I didn't really know about and she never told us about or, you know, and, and now, um, you know, when she, she was like a hundred years old, you know, she essentially just pulled me aside and said, you have the gift and you're like me. And, and for the first time she talked about, you know, like being exercised as a child and the things that were in her that she didn't share with anybody. Um, and she still did and she still believed and, and her, her thought and her, what she was saying was that even though she couldn't teach me those things, that they were in me and that anything that she was able to do, I would be able to do. Um, and she believed that she got it from her grandmother. And, and so the belief was, was that it was in you somehow, you know, and, and I think that there's, that there's truth to that. And I also think that there is a lot of truth to the idea that, you know, like in the DNA, we still don't know what 90% of the DNA strings have to say, you know, it's like, yes, exactly. We, say things, we use words like junk DNA, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
which which is which is maybe the most offensive phrase (laughs) towards humanity overall that could ever be uttered truthfully but we don't know i mean and i think there's a lot of things that we don't know and i say that you know i mean as we talk about different um phenomena and, and things and species of things whatever um, you know, my degree is in paleontology, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I have a view towards everything that yeah. is like that. Um, and so I think about things in terms of the evolution of things, um, the, the mutations of things, the, the, you know, the, the evolution or the cladistics of, of the things unseen, you know, it's like... What, what what is related to what and what came from what and what you know what do we call one thing and and somebody else calls another thing but genetically speaking or spiritually genetically speaking how those things are related and i think that that works on a, a on a micro level too i think that um the things that are in us the things that happen to our you know, our ancestors are in us as well, you know, and think that 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 affects us. And I, I mean, even to the point where um, this is a weird thing, uh, is that you have the cells of anybody you've ever had sex with in your brain. It just like goes there, you know, and and that means that you have some sort of DNA of everybody. That's disturbing. It's very disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not like floating around in your body. Get out of my head. It somehow goes to your brain, you know? And so, and, and when I think about different people, you know, like that, that girlfriend that we're just talking about, you know, it's really disturbing to think that there are like pieces. I mean, she's dead now and pieces of her are like floating around in my brain. Um, oh, I had a I had a moment about that the other day. It's funny that you said that because I yeah there was a whole, go go ahead. I'm sorry. I just <laughs> yeah. I just triggered something, didn't I? Yeah. You 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 did. I I had a uh, uh, let's let's for whatever random reason drink a little bit and then get crying drunk and then apologize to a Facebook profile of a, a girl that I dated years ago that passed away. And yeah, it was a whole thing, man. So yeah, I understand. <laughs> well, you know, that, that, that little cell that's still in your brain must have popped and, you know, uh, it triggered something. Um, I, I, I think that basically what I, what my beliefs are, both from a scientific standpoint and from the standpoint of being a practitioner, you know, like in indigenous uh, belief systems, is, you know, the Mayan word and the Lakota word for God is is the same thing. It's Wakan. And it simply means unknowable. It means mysterious. It's um, the, the Yoruba word for God, like the infinite all God, uh, is, is, is the same, is awo. Awo simply means infinite mystery. Um, and the, the words that we have from all of those indigenous cultures um, sees all spirit as unknown. And that as it becomes known, as it becomes part of knowledge, um, or as it becomes part of belief, because sometimes it's not even objectively knowledge, you know, as we start to scrape little bits and pieces of what reality is from things, um, some of it is right and some of it is wrong, some of it is real and some of it is imagined. Um, and, And I think that as spiritual people or as um or as scientific or paranormal dis- discovering or or exploring people we just simply do the best we can and we work with the best metaphors that we have in the moment um and those things change you know and i think that 
a year from now, we could be having a different conversation about a lot of these things. We'll know a little bit more, you know, um, mm -hmm. and uh, and it won't have come from the internet, you know. Um, right. I think that that the you know Googling has set us back a generation, you know. And, um, but I do think that that a lot of I mean I, I joke about that, but I do think that a lot of information has come about not by information that we're getting, but by people having conversations like we're, we like we are right now, you know, that the ability for communication and technology to bring people together and for us to just even compare notes tonight, you know, um, creates a different level of, of knowledge about things. Um, and even like you were just talking about, you know, Gnosticism and stuff, which is something I, I interested in and, um, and have thoughts about as well, uh, is that the, that period of Christianity has had such a, a, an amazing influence on um, civilization as we know it. Um, but we don't know it uh, because it's been erased. And I think that, you know, when we start to uncover those things, you know, what, what, whether they be the gospels or whether they be archeological artifacts or what, even like, as we start to look at the DNA of, you know, uh, places where the early Christian churches were, you know, just even even things like finding out that Saint Nicholas was black, you know, like totally black, you know, um, just blows people's minds. And and the 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 picture that people have of the early church, I think, if the more we know about that, the first few hundred years, the more we're going to know about what Christianity could have been, what it was meant to be, what was really being said. And we're starting to go back and look at translations, you know, what individual words mean. Um, and I think that that iterates out to what our beliefs are about spirit and about spirituality and about things like ghosts, you know, um, and I think that if we simply were able to learn how to read Greek, we would see the world in a totally different way than we do right now. Um, and Gnosticism, I think, is is very much um, steeped in the idea that the the people who wrote and spoke Greek had beliefs that were pre-Roman and pre-Christian and pre-Judaism. Um, and then I think that like the conversation we're having right now, just about um, what's a ghost and what's a spirit and what is, you know, um, we could even talk about what is God, you know, that, that those things, there were specific beliefs and things that have been changed and suppressed and retranslated um, that uh, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of fundamentalists would be really shocked to find that you know the original translations of things are nothing like what they believe right now in fact very much the opposite of what what they believe right now um and that that would be that would be shattering to civilization right now um especially since the the brand of christianity that is being used and misused by people now have almost nothing to do with the idea of, of Gnosticism, you know, um, and the um, the Gospels as they were written, and the letters as they were written in their original translations had different meanings um, that we don't translate well into English, especially since a lot of them were translated by Romans first into Latin. Uh, and they put their own belief systems on it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I am. Um, you know, I, I 
got interested in the the Gnosticism, the wider Gnosticism thing, uh, I don't know, years ago when I was a teenager. And how I even found it in the first place, I don't know, growing up in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. But um, <laughs> Seth, Sethian Gnosticism in particular, probably for me, is the closest thing I felt to whatever reflects my own reality that I found other than maybe Islamic mysticism. And then there's there's a lot of, you know, bits and pieces of of, for lack of any better word, you know, paganism from various cultures that i've picked up on that that i really appreciate too but I, much like what you're saying you know i think um having these kind of conversations is important and that's exactly what i want to do with this show um you know i think that ideas are incredibly valuable and i think that hardcore beliefs are incredibly dangerous mm-hmm. um and i think that more people more people should be willing to sit down at the table and have those kind of conversations and I brought up the genetic thing, not only because Jack said it, but i give you an example. It's funny, you would mentioned your grandmother and, and the Pentecost thing. So uh, my family from far eastern Kentucky were far more open to the haints, as it were, um, than, than some of the ones that came from Greensburg, Kentucky, which is still eastern Kentucky, but not quite as far down there. Um, but interestingly enough, my grandmother from, from Greensburg, Kentucky, she, she was very Southern Baptist. Um, but you can bet, and I asked her about it when I was a kid and she didn't know why she did it, just that she had started doing it at some point in her life. You can bet that every Halloween there was going to be milk and honey on the porch. Mm-hmm. She couldn't tell you why or where it came from and she didn't get it from her <laughs> mother, but it was there for a reason. So, you know, I don't think she ever had any rationale in her head for why she did it. It's just something that she did. So. They were asking for it. She heard them. That's mm-hmm. all. <laughs> yep. Yep. So uh, I guess one more question for you, because I always, and, and I, I want to have both of you back individually. And I think we can get, even get together as a group again. And I apologize. Kim, Kim's been in and out because there's, we live next to the so, highway and there's some guy broke down or he had a wreck or something out here. And, He's okay. He refused me calling anybody. Yeah. I don't know if he's intoxicated or oh, but but he's been out of the vehicle and then he got back in the vehicle, which I'd much rather him be in the vehicle because that's a bad spot. But yeah, there's somebody out there with him now. So <laughs> oh geez. Someone I, I posted on Facebook because where we live, like I said, it's a bad corner. There's a lot of wrecks that happen in this corner. Yeah. And I wanted people to know that there's a disabled vehicle. And somebody just asked me, well, I just passed somebody on a bridge on the other end of town peeing off the bridge. <laughs> Is it a full moon? I'm like, no, that's not until the 5th. But there's an asteroid in pretty close proximity right now. So who knows? To peak it, no. you don't need any special <laughs> circumstances. Until the, the full moon to pee off the bridge. <laughs> right. It's right. peaking, so it definitely doesn't take that. It just takes one too many drinks at the local bar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sort of... Um, this question, I think, could be sort of wrapped in together to some some degree, lesser or greater. And I'll let you guys go in depth as much as you'd like. But I know, you know, obviously we've talked about the, the spiritualism and, and that kind of stuff um, and your work together with with, you know, the mediumship as well as, you know, working with people to help them out uh, twofold. So I know that divination is a huge part of, of both of, of your lives and, and together, it, it sounds like. Um I know that you actually have a unique uh, divination method, and I know that Kate does uh, tea leaf readings. Um, so if you could talk about that unique divination method that you you guys have come up with, that's one aspect of it. And the other aspect would be, I'm curious of, of just some, some basic, like, let's say tools of the trade, right? So let's say, and I know that that's, that's pretty interpretive, right? Anything can mean anything to anybody, but let's take, for example, at the, at the beginning of the show, you know, not drinking, not doing drugs, right? But say alcohol being, you know, a medium uh, during, you know, certain ceremonies, etc. If you guys could touch on some of that stuff for us. Um, well, for me, there are, yeah, in lots of different traditions, there are ceremonies where you use like ayahuasca and, you know, various plants to reach altered states and have visions. Um, I personally am very wary of that simply because I have a lot of wild visions when I'm perfectly sober. <laughs> you know, it's like I see, I see a lot of things and experience things just, you know, every day. Um, so I don't really have a great <laughs> desire to, to do that. 
Um, as far as not drinking or, or using any kind of thing that, that would open you up more necessarily, like if you're going and directly to say, do ghost hunting or that type of thing, because um, I consider some of those like troublemaker type mm-hmm. ghosts. And a lot of times they could very have been familiar addicts. with them. <laughs> yeah, they could have been addicts in life. And so they want to kind of feel that again through you. So, you know, they can get into your system, literally, you know, and, and feed off of your high and cause problems for you. So, I mean, that's, I, you know, that's something that I don't ever mess with because mm-hmm. simply because I don't, you know, it's, I don't need any additional help with, with that. Right. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's, I'm much more cautious when it comes to that. And even when I'm doing divination, um, I like to make sure I have my wits about me because I, I open up to things. It's sometimes difficult because it's like you have to have one foot in in each world and you're walking that line. It's like a, a balance between the two so that you can get information with one and translate it back over to the other and 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 do that back and forth. Um so it does help. Like I use, I have an ISIS board and speaking stones is what I call them. And it is a method that um, it's unique to us and developed over time and working with dreams and working with the goddess ISIS. So I will cast stones on a board that has different symbols on it and read what the hieroglyphs are according to where they fell. And it um, it's something that helps me because it's like a parallel. It's, it's, it's like having to walk between those worlds simply because the language isn't mine. It's ancient Egyptian. Um, the symbols aren't things I would see every day. It kind of helps keep my brain um, so that I'm not forming too many um, opinions uh, or judgments according to just like my own experiences, you know, when I use that, that's the best way I can sort of describe it. It's like walking parallel. And I use them as um, symbols that will trigger thoughts or emotions or stories or memories or shoot, even um, TV shows or songs or whatever. It's like that working with association and sort of like that first thing that pops into your mind usually is the right thing. Um, so yeah, we do live a divinatory life. Mm-hmm. I mean, we divine every day. It's like, okay, what's up for today? What are we dealing with today? Um, like you said, I do tea leaf reading as well. Ted has his own methods. We um, work with Odoo on a daily basis. And those are stories. You can you can tell them more about that. Um, but we find it it's important to... In doing that, it's sort of like getting out of your own way. Um, don't you, we don't want to step into the day with with judgments or preconceived ideas? It's it's nice to have sort of a heads up of what you might be running into, and then you can plan accordingly. Um, at least prepare accordingly to the best of your ability, because you know life life happens and stuff happens on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, yearly basis. So we do touch in with that other world first thing in the morning before we we start our day and then we do things weekly so we have kind of an overview for the week um it's it's a good touchstone Mm -hmm. i guess for us um to be able to see the bigger picture yeah i think that i mean first of all i think that there isn't um, there isn't any one way to do divination. There isn't a right way, and there isn't a wrong way. Um, I think that you have to understand what your own abilities are um, and where you come from, um, and and so some of that is learned. Some of that is maybe genetic. Some of that is just simply what gifts you have or don't have. And, um, and so Kate and I are, are very different in that sense. Um, sometimes I, I, I like to say to people, I don't know what I do. 
And even though I'm really knowledgeable, um, I use what's called the Mayan Tarot and probably am the last living person they use the Shulton Tarot in the way that the, the 20 count teachers were taught to do that <clears throat> simply because all my teachers keep dying on me. Um, and so even though I have a lot of knowledge about those things and I understand them very technically from a Western standpoint or from a Jungian standpoint or from a linguistic standpoint, um, most of what I do has nothing to do with what I objectively know. Um, a lot of times I just turn over cards and I just start talking. Um, it, 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 um, it used to be that the cards prompted, images prompted something or, um, but that's not true anymore. I, I think that more often than not, um, the, the cards uh, or whatever I'm using is there to limit me, is there to um, sort of help focus what I'm saying. Um, I have, uh, you might notice that I'm, um, I, I have the kind of autism that doesn't know when to stop talking. Um, I think that a lot of what divination tools are, are um, to give you focus and also to, um, to help prompt things. Um, but so Kate and I use those things very differently. Um, and I think that what she does and how she does it and how she writes about it is very teachable. Um, and I think that, um, for instance, the way she does tea leaves, um, she works without a glossary. So you can't look at thing and say, oh, it's a balloon. That means your head's going to pop. Um, <laughs> And the, she works without those kinds of things that almost every tea leaf reader um, who writes a book says, if you see you know, a cloud, it means this. If you see a fish, it means that. Uh, uh, what she does is, is not like that at all, but it's also very teachable. Um, I think that what I do is, is, is a lot less teachable simply because I don't know what I do. Um, I don't know how I do it. I just, I just do it. Um, and, you know, I don't have any, I don't have any complaints yet. Um, nobody's asked for their money back uh, or anything. Um, but I do think that, that that's the way you have to approach it. It's like you, you work with what you have. You work with the gifts you have in the way that you have it. Um, yes. And I think that, that, you know, we're all different and some things are teachable and some things aren't. And, yes. and, and I think that that's, you know, that we just have, we have toolkits that we work with and, mm. and you hope to gather as many tools as you can. And when it comes right down to it, you're eating with your hands, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it, it works. It's interesting, too, because Kim and I are very much the same way, but the roles are reversed. I'm much more like Kate when it comes to divination, and Kim's much more on your level when it comes to divination. Um, I tend to be, like, very quick with the interpretation, and it's it's it triggers certain things. Kind of like what you were talking about as well there, Ted, where, like, for me, all of, my, all of those things obviously fall into... You know, my world revolves around distilling, music, history, and agriculture, right? So those are those are kind of my teachers. And immediately upon an image or even a color, there's an association, and I immediately kind of know where I need to go with that association, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see that and see how different people mm -hmm. work with things. And like Kate works with the with her stones. You know, I, I work with runes quite a bit. I also work with dowsing quite a bit. I don't I don't do uh, tarot nearly as much as I used to, and Kim does quite a bit more of that. Um, but you know, like on the alcohol thing, that's one of the things that we do here often. Is you know we're we're not drinking, we're doing tarot or anything of that nature. Kim doesn't really drink anyways. Right. Uh, but you know, I always pour I'll always pour a drink for the ancestors and for the spirits that are here locally, 
mm-hmm. uh, every time I do any kind of working. Um, and Kate, as you know, you know, uh, absinthe is, is, like I said at the beginning, has become very much part of my spirituality. And so uh, there's always a, a little tribute to your ancestors in there. When I make a batch of absinthe, a small batch of absinthe, a one-gallon batch, there's always a tribute there because for me that is a, a spiritual working. It's not just a beverage alcohol working. Right. Well, That's and I hear that makes me happy. <laughs> and there's actually absinthe on the altar right now because I was working with Artemis earlier and Artemisia oh, yeah. absinthium. Yeah. So, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. We, 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 this would be like the palace for Artemis between the, the <laughs> amount of absinthe that gets made here and, and the, the amount of wormwood that is growing in the, the, of the flower beds, plants, petite and grand, that grow around the house. So, excellent. Um, Guys, this has been uh, fantastic, and uh, I I will tell you that um, I don't even think I'm going to edit this with music or anything like I normally do. I think I'll do the intro and all that stuff I usually do, and I'm going to leave it like it is because I think the conversation is more than compelling enough. Oh, yeah, absolutely. People. Um, I do want to get both of you individually in the near future. Um so, you know, we can, we can look at dates over the next couple of days and send you some ideas, and you can get back with us and let us know what works for you. Uh, but I think that, that we've just kind of scratched the surface with what you guys do. And I would like to have some deeper conversations uh, with both of you for sure. Mm-hmm. It sounds great. Awesome. All right. Well, uh, I th- well, before I go, because I'm forgetting this now, you know, what we're on hour number two. And I just did distillers talk. So my brain's getting a little foggy here. I bet. Where can where can people find you? And I also know that you you offer some services, and you also offer uh, the the uh, the ISIS uh, the Oracle board as well um, is out there for sale. So where can people find out more about all of that? Right. Um, well, we have you can um, we're both on Facebook, but <laughs> uh, our website for reaching us, generally speaking, would be Circadia. Dot com and that's s u r c a d i a dot com and um, our Etsy shop is Circadiana, so that's you know the things of <laughs> Circadia that we would sell the ritual tools and the Isis board and and different things that we do from our respective traditions and. Um, and our nonprofit, if you're interested in knowing more about that, is thebluebead.org. And that gives you some ideas of what we do just on non, non it's it's personal, it's spiritual, but non-paranormal world <laughs> in their regular life. Um, so you can get a hold of us through any of those places, find out more, ask any questions there. Yeah, awesome. I think that um, because... Uh, because I'm an old guy, I'm still on Facebook while everybody else is doing something else. Now. <laughs> um, but I think that that's the the place where it's easiest to get a hold of us, and um, we're um, we're on Messenger, and we're, we're we like sharing what we do. We like mm-hmm. answering questions, and we also like demystifying what it is that we do. Um, especially since both of us do things that are off of the beaten path. They're not normally what people do. Um, And also, I think that people are looking for divination that is not rote, you know, that is not with a glossary or somebody referring to the book, you know, while they're doing a reading. Um, um, I, I don't have the ability to read and do readings at the same time so <laughs> right i make yep, it up yep. as i go along <laughs> yeah. but, but we're very open to answering questions about things and i know that a lot of things that we've said today for instance is going to prompt a lot of questions or whatever um we try to make time um to to answer those questions and i, I think we'll continue to do that until we can't do it anymore you know? <laughs> um, because sometimes the the things that people want to know is, is meaningful to us as well um including yeah. you know, like if we do your divination we get divination out of it too and so um so it's important for us to do that for people yep 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean by that. There have been a couple times that I've I've done some things, and uh, it's sort of like if you if you're playing poker and you end up with an Uno card in your deck. Where the fuck did that come from? That doesn't belong in there. <laughs> so, like like when um the the hanged man or the magician falls in your readings every single time. Every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> yes. Yes. Always. <laughs> Yeah, usually in reverse. <laughs> usually in reverse. Yeah, that hurts the tower. So. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, fuck that tower. <laughs> <laughs> I embrace the chaos now. <laughs> Lean into it. Yes. That's right. It's all you can do. The number of times that I've pulled that card for myself in the last year. <laughs> yeah, I just, I just figure it gives me, it gives me full permission to refer to myself as a holy jester. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but. Well, all right, guys. Um, oh, one more real quick question. Uh, when is the sequel to the book coming? <laughs> to Absinthe, Alewives, and Alchemy, right? Yes. Um, well, we, we've we've done like this, this little interlude at the moment as we're developing that one, where we have, um, we're working on a series of three novellas, and we have the first one out. So the character from Absinthe, Alewives, and Alchemy, one of the daughters of the um, Henriad, Mayor Henriad in, in Switzerland, her daughter, we take her character and are expanding that in her storyline in, in a series of, of three novellas. So, and those revolve around the herbs um, as well, using like the next one at Artemisia that's, that's coming up. Um, so, we're, that's sort of like this interlude and it's interesting because being creative, of course, we never work linearly, uh, which can be <laughs> tricky yeah. sometimes, but we realized as we were stepping into the um, the next book to Absinthe, Allies and Alchemy, that it was almost as if we needed there was something missing, you know, it's like we, we needed to live something. We needed to understand something before we just jumped right into it and working magically, living magically. Um, things don't always go the way we planned. And this, this other thing, like these books that are coming up, the first one we have out the book of Cecily, uh, is, has what had to happen first. So I don't have an answer or a date on that yet, but I can tell you within this next year, you're going to have three of these. Awesome. And then we're going to be going and hitting the next one, because I do feel like I, and it's interesting you would ask that because even speaking with you tonight, put some things into my head that had to do with the sequel to that book and how to approach certain things. So I thank you for that. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah, I, that, I, I had the same thought is talking about the Benjamin House yeah. out loud. Um, that is the next chapter from that first Literally, book. Literally, yeah. And, um, and I think that, um, I mean, as paranormally interesting as that was, um, it was um, it was really, uh, if, we, if we take the, the drama of the paranormal out of it, it was not a chapter of our lives that we'd want to. Um, it was uh, difficult. It was difficult. It was very, it difficult. Was very difficult. And you know, it's like as Kate is talking about, like a, a haunting part of it. I'm thinking about huddling in in a tiny room with our children and and spending our first night there and just listening to all of the gunshots yeah. um, right. all around Gosh. it because it's New Year's, yeah. you know? And yeah. 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 That yep. was a shock. Coming, yeah, 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 moving into a neighborhood where that's how you celebrate. Yeah, you know? that's, well, that's, that's where that's, that's peaking. peaking. Yeah, on a Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we live in a neighborhood. Yeah, now we're where used to it. All the time, God, the kids are like, "Oh yeah, that's a Glock." You know, uh, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, Col- culture shock stuff for sure. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I remember you know kind of the opposite direction of you guys. That I, I basically lived in Louisville for two years. Right. And like things that were like everyday nature to people down there. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, sure. Like, I, I, um, I, I think that, you know, one of the things that Kate and I do is, 
we we talk about um like for instance we talk about spirituality in relationship to spirits and um and in relationship to absence um and right now i'm working on a divination that deals with dr john in new orleans um but goes into the history of who he was in the apothecary movement and who um antoine amade pechot was uh in that oh, that's cool um and so we do we do um um like one of the things we do is we tell the story of the Sazerac cocktail while we're making 50 Sazerac cocktails, you know, um, and, uh, and talk about voodoo and witchcraft and, and how they influence the, the development of cocktails and stuff. So, you know, what we do is, is, is we don't really separate, um, what, like Kate's history with absinthe is from our spirituality yeah, or from any other thing that we do because it, 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 it all overlaps. And I think that, you know, um, it's overlapping more and more and more. And so, um, I, I'm making the Dr. John Tarot deck right now, but it's, it's, um, it's also about, the plagues in New Orleans. It's also about um, the the development of alcohol as a medicine and how it was taken away from black people um, and how it was taken away from women uh, who were considered witches. I mean, it was like those themes happen over and over and over again in history. And, and yeah. I think that's because of what you do, you know, I think we could have lots more conversations Oh yeah, levels. very much so. We're very much in the same vein with that. I mean, I, I I told Kate last time we recorded and didn't get into it this time, but my all of, all of my ghost and that that phrase, if you have ghosts, you have everything, came from an old Rocky Erickson song uh, that I absolutely love. But I used it to promote spirits of French Lick because I always said it's not just the spirits in the bottle; it's the spirits of the place, and I'm telling those spirit stories. And every time I invite another one in and when they get done with me and all the bullshit that comes along with it, they go tap one of their friends on the shoulder and they're like, Hey, you want your story out there? <laughs> go, go talk to this guy. And it becomes very much so a, uh, it's almost a form of necromancy, right? You're bringing people back that nobody's talked about for over a hundred years. So yeah, yeah. I just wish they'd leave me alone every once in a while. That'd be fine. <laughs> That'd be fine. That'd be okay. So uh, I, I think that we need to talk about George McCoy. Um, because you're from Kentucky, aren't you? Uh, I'm from Indiana, but, uh, so George McCoy, uh, ironically, hmm? so did you say George McCoy? Yeah. That's what yeah, I said. Yeah. So you, okay. So, and you, you have to, you have to be specific with your George McCoy, because I, I can think of three that are involved in alcohol. Well, I think that, that, that the George McCoy that I'm talking about, uh, lived in Ypsilanti, Michigan. Um, he is the first um, degreed engineer in the United States. He was black, um, but as a child, he was a, a, a rum runner um, between Pulani yep. and uh, a, a, a place called Little Kentucky in Canada. Mm -hmm. And his family's um, homestead, um, it's, he's one of the McCoys. Um, um, from the the Kentucky area, mm -hmm. um, and uh, he's the the grandson of uh, uh, oh, I forget which McCoy, um, but he was the illegitimate um, mm -hmm. uh, side of the family that was bl half black. Um, so, so we 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 have a lot to talk about there for sure. So uh and there's some there's some synergistic energy here, uh A, because Kim's family is tied to the McCoys. That's A. B, there is another branch of the McCoy family, and it's funny that this came up because uh, I would love for Kate and this woman to meet sometime. There's a, a very dear friend of mine. I, as a matter of fact, I'd call her my adopted grandmother, um, Deb Deb Knight. 
and she's a descendant of the McCoys of Orange County, Indiana. Now, these McCoys are all related to the other McCoys as well, but they came here very early on. Uh, her family has adopted me to some degree because I've done a ton of research on their distilling history in Orange County, Indiana. I've rescued yeast from their old distillery that's still standing. There's no equipment in it, but I've got yeast from that distillery. Oh, that's uh, cool. And ironically, Deb and Kate are very, 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 very similar. Um, it both not not only just like in in thought process and speaking to you, but also in mannerisms. Um, so she's that yeah. There's connections there we can get deep into sometime for sure. Um, the McCoys. So when you said George McCoy, I, I knew about the George McCoy you're talking about. Ironically. Deb's grandfather, his name was also George McCoy. So, oh, really? Yes. Yep. Yep. There's, and there's a little cemetery right down the road from there that is one of my sacred places. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's, um, there are more distillers buried in this one little rural cemetery in the middle of nowhere, Indiana, than there are in Cave Hill in Louisville, Kentucky. Nice. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we definitely need to get into that conversation. <laughs> so, but, Yep, yep, and George is another one of those ghosts that just keeps knocking on the door, so. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Well, he, he is the real McCoy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that there, there, are, there are a number of, uh, and, and this is, a, this is a, a theme that we work with all the time, there are a number of people related to um, famous alcohol, famous liquors that... Um, that when you dig deep, the the relationship between um, masters and slaves um, become just muddied. Um, mm -hmm. Like who invented what and who taught who what, um, and, and and I think that there are things that are coming out now that are going to change the nature of of how people do distillery. Um, I mean, I just think that. I mean, one thing is just the um, people are now talking about dunder pits again, you know, yeah. and um, and the complexity of yeast and the um, of what came up from the cane fields um, in the diaspora and how it's related to Africa and mm -hmm. And, yeah. and all kinds of things like bacteria and and other things that um, indigenous cultures knew about it. They had different names for it and stuff. But, um, you know, I, I think that kombucha has made it um, hip again. You know? but yes, very much I so. Think that micro distillery is is going to um, is is going to bring back lots and lots of culture information and um you know i think that that a lot of reclamation you know from people about how they really were with each other and who who brought what from where and who taught what and um and who actual peoples were you know like if you're from mountains um that it's very likely that that you need to do your DNA and find out all of the different parts of you. Oh, oh, yes, I did. Yeah, I, I, so I haven't <laughs> done the DNA, but trust me, I that's one thing that I, I don't even need to do to know that story for sure. Um, <laughs> so you know, there's, we're, we're there's, figure out why you put the honey and milk out, <laughs> right? Yeah, there are, um, there were even when I was a kid, uh, I don't know that there are any that are still there now, but even when I was a kid going to Eastern Kentucky. There were still some relatives, um, some who lived along the river bottoms and some who lived on the mountain tops. Ironically, they didn't, they weren't settled into the valleys themselves, um, into the hollers as it were, but we, we had family that definitely. So first of all, there's a, there's a thing here in Southern Indiana called Jasper Dutch, which is English mixed with German. Right. And it, it yeah. just like you piss off an old, uh, Jasper citizen and they'll start like slipping into German. <laughs> Uh, so there was a thing like that in Kentucky, uh, in, in, um, Clay County in particular, which was literally them slipping into Celtic, uh, and it was still being passed down, but there were also 
um, you know, Cherokee. They were also uh, Spanish, Mexican, um, as well as African-Americans. And they were all family. Now, I don't know how exactly we were related. Nobody ever said this is your, you know, your second cousin, your first cousin, whatever. But definitely I was exposed to a little bit of that. Not a ton, but a little. That's so, interesting. Yeah, it's it's definitely there. And then the other side of that is the um <laughs> the, the German German Irish conundrum, which I don't know if you if you're familiar with that in Appalachia, but uh they hated each other because the Germans thought the Irish were dirty, but the Germans wanted to live next to the Irish because they knew if there was any trouble. That <laughs> <laughs> And so, you know, you can have one generation of Germans and Irish that hate each other. And then the next generation, you've got Romeo and Juliet. So, yeah, but yeah, no, it's definitely there for sure. Without a doubt. Um, yeah. And it, again, it was more open on that side of my family. My mom's side of the family was much more, not that my dad's side wasn't. I think that they just, they were so, they got tied up in the Southern Baptist thing quite a mm -hmm. bit. And I think that that was a little more strict, you know, yeah. and then, you know, my grandma and grandpa both grew up went through the depression and all that stuff and and you know world war ii etc and i think it was a little more tight-lipped society maybe mm -hmm. so but yeah now i we'll, we'll definitely get back together and, and go through all this stuff for sure guys this was this was an absolute pleasure thank you guys so much thank you Hey guys, if you've been following my career at all, or following the If You Have Ghosts, You Have Everything podcast, you've probably also heard about my other shows, Distiller's Talk, as well as the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute. One thing you may not be aware of, however, is that we actually have a separate website called TheAlchemistCabinet.com. And the really cool thing about TheAlchemistCabinet.com is we have our very own store there. It's called The Warehouse One. And you can go there right now and pick up all your Christmas gifts. Or if it's after the New Year's or even before, if you're at all into if you have ghosts or you're into the art of distillation, you can go to the Warehouse One right now and buy various different if you have ghosts, you have everything and uh, one piece of the time distilling institute apparel and or merchandise. Things such as shirts and hats and stickers and my book, The Alchemist Cabinet Philosophy, Volume 1, or the two DVDs we're currently offering. A short history of distilling in Indiana's Black Forest as delivered in a speech to uh, the Salem Depot and or the Alan Bishop Experience documentary directed and produced by Bo Cumberland and Jolie Kasperzak. There's all kinds of cool stuff over there. I even occasionally have some extra distillation slash homebrewing related materials such as staves or yeast or unique grains that I offer over there. There's going to be all kinds of new stuff coming up. Kim and I are actually working on an Oracle deck specifically for if you have ghosts, you have everything and our spiritual work with this podcast and personally that'll be up before too long. So please go over to thealchemistcabinet.com and place an order. All that money obviously goes back into this show as well as into the One Piece of the Time Distilling Institute, and it helps our family out. This is one of the ways that we pay for our bills and also pay for our hobbies, such as all the software we use for this podcast, etc. We really appreciate your support. We love you guys, and we'll catch you soon.